In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Dear saints, God's word says that those who believe and are baptized will be saved, as Mark 16 says. Acts chapter 2 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children. And 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism now saves you. So as as Lutherans, we're well aware that salvation, uh, that that baptism bestows salvation, that it gives the forgiveness of sins, and that these things are the first and the main and the chief gift that God gives us in baptism. However, we oftentimes forget that there is a second thing or a second gift that God gives in baptism. And Romans chapter 6 tells us what it is. It says this, We were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This newness of life is called baptismal regeneration. It means that you have a new birth and a new life that follows. And this rebirth or this regeneration happens not when you feel a certain way, but when you are baptized, the moment of your baptism. I really want to emphasize this point tonight because uh, the, the point is that God has given you a new life to live in baptism. That is... A life, not just of faith, but one of obedience and one of good works also. And I know as Lutherans, we shy away from talking this way. And we recoil when we hear anything about obedience or good works. But this is what the scriptures say. Uh, There is a very harmful teaching that's floating around that's become popular over recent years. It's the idea of using the forgiveness of sins... As a license to indulge in sin. Uh, You you might have heard people talk this way. Or you might yourself might have spoken this way or thought this way. Saying something like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, do this. I'm just going to go ahead and get drunk this weekend. It's okay. I'll go to church and then I'll be forgiven on Sunday. Or, uh, well, it's good that God loves to forgive because I like to sin. (laughs) Uh, So it works out well. Or they'll say something like, well, I know that what I'm doing is is wrong. It's not right. But nobody's perfect. God will forgive me. People who speak this way are using the forgiveness of sins as a license or a permission to sin. Uh, They are using the bitter suffering of Christ. His bloody sweat, his crown of thorns, his gasping for air, his sighing, his bleeding, his dying, the sacrifice of the innocent Son of God as a pass, as a license, as permission to give themselves wholly over back into the sins from which he saved them. And they take the blood of Christ and they trample it in this way and yet claim to remain as children of God. Now, this idea isn't new. This was going on 2,000 years ago as well uh, in Rome. And that is the context 
for which uh, Paul writes this letter, uh, it affected a lot of the Christians back then. After Paul preaches the most beautiful truth of the gospel in chapter 5 of Romans, saying that we're saved by faith through the merits of Christ and not by our works, not by anything we do, but wholly and completely by Christ, chapter 6 begins with the very first word saying, What shall we then say? Are we to continue or remain in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, by no means. Uh, In Greek, this is the strongest way of, in in the Greek construction here, is the strongest way of saying no. It's like saying no, absolutely not. No, that's a stupid idea. Don't talk that way. That's that's how uh, Paul is, is writing here. Then Paul continues by talking about why this is a foolish idea. And he says this. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Um, And and I want to pause here and just go in depth on this and explain the crucial differences between what the Bible teaches about baptism and what the Reformed or the Baptist or American evangelicals uh, teach about baptism. That there is a discrepancy. There's There's a contradiction going on here. All of these denominations will tell you that baptism doesn't do Anything. It doesn't give or bestow a thing, uh, whether it's the forgiveness of sins or the new life. Instead, what they say is that baptism is your work. Uh, it is your dedication, your devotion to God. So that the, the, the direction is from you to God upward. So for them, in order to be baptized, you need to truly dedicate yourself to God first in your heart you need to resolve to, and promise to live a new life before you can be baptized. So they'll say that the real change happens in your heart first and that being baptized, your baptism is simply a way to publicly announce this to others. For them, you make a private resolution in your heart and then you make it publicly through the act of baptism. So baptism is simply what they would call an outward sign of an inward reality. That's the way they'd speak of it. Um, also, in these churches, because we don't keep our resolutions, because we break our promises, this is why they also allow for multiple baptisms. Uh, because if baptism is your work and your doing, then you're going to fail and you try again. And so you, you have to rededicate yourself to God and start anew again and get a second chance. Um, uh, In opposition to that, we have the scriptures, the way the scriptures speak. And I want you to go home and open your Bible and read Romans 6 again and see that this is not the way the Lord speaks. Paul doesn't say that baptism is a sign of the new life. He says it is the new life. It's not a sign of you accepting forgiveness. It is God giving you forgiveness. 
It gives you the faith to live a new life. The way Paul speaks is that baptism, the outward thing, the thing, the water and the word produces in you a change. That is the change of heart. So it causes the change in you. According to the Bible, you didn't do something for God in your baptism. Rather, God has done something for you. He buried you with Jesus. He took you in your form, in in your lowliness. He buried you with Christ, your dear Lord, so that you would be resurrected like him on the last day. And the you, the part of you that was buried with Jesus in baptism, is what Paul calls your old self, the old you. Verse 6 says, uh, Paul, Paul continues, We know that our old self, or the old man, was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then in verse 12, if you keep reading, he says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members, your your body parts to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So so notice, uh, Paul doesn't say, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. He doesn't talk about this first. And then say, now once you do that, once you get that under control, then you can be baptized. Or once you really are resolved to do this, then you can get baptized. If that were the case, then which one of us could ever be baptized? If we need to devote ourselves to God before we can be baptized, how can we ever truly know if we're devoted enough? or sincere enough, or resolved enough to live a new life. But the way the Bible speaks of our baptism, the way that God teaches this to us, is that he first talks about baptism, and then he talks about the fruits of baptism, things that follow, that is a new life, that forgiveness causes the change in us. So the thing that changes in you is your heart and your soul from the word of God. You were once dead in your trespasses, but now you're made alive in Christ. And as a result of this mercy, we no longer dwell in our sin or continue in sin. Uh, pay, Pay very, very close attention. Paul isn't saying here that we don't sin now that we're baptized. He says we don't remain in sin now that we're baptized. Uh, The word there in Greek is epimenomen, which means to persist or to persevere in sin. That is to, to continue steadfast, firmly, obstinately to plan and deliberately sin on purpose. That's what he's talking about. Now, this is what Paul is saying. So he's saying, yes, Christians sin. They fall and they fail and they fall into temptation, but they don't want to. That the heart does not want to do the very things that it ends up doing. Uh, They don't want to. But when they fall into sin, they don't remain there. They repent quickly. So Jesus sets us free from sin. Then why would we go back to the sin from which he saved us? So the Christian then 
the Christian life is one of a struggle. It is one of fighting temptation, one of struggling and striving to do better, to, te- to keep the Ten Commandments. So rather the, the, than the Christians running and rushing headlong into sin, the Christians struggle and fight against it. They resist it. They try. When the Bible talks about the new life, that is what it's talking about. When we fight against sin, we make in the Christian life uh, what we would call improvements. Uh, we make progress as a Christian. Not in leaps and bounds, but there is growth and there is improvement. And this is straight from the scriptures. Look, uh, this is Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 10 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1. It says this, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, that is good works, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities, these things that you are doing, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Again, this is something we sing about in our Lutheran hymns. The, uh, the, the beautiful hymn, Martin Luther's favorite hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Uh, that, that ninth verse, verse says, Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, that is those works, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. In other words, you ought to grow in faith and love as a Christian. So to put it in practical terms, you ought to know more of God's word this year at this time than you knew last year at the same time. You ought to be more patient of a person now and have more self-control than before. You ought to be going to church more now and paying attention more now than before, than in the days of your youth. And that means you ought to be more gracious and more generous, that you grow in love and you become more humble now than in years past. And if you examine yourself and you find that you're not, If you find that you are more impatient now than before, that you are more arrogant now, you think of yourself more, you are more selfish or you are more foolish, that you go to church less or you pay attention less, then you are moving in the wrong direction. You are going the wrong way. To which our Lord says, repent. Turn around. Change. This means that the old you is coming back 
and trying to get the upper hand. As a Christian, you know that, of course, you're never going to be perfect in this life. We're never going to be without sin in this life. We know this. But there is a progression that happens in the Christian life, that you grow as a Christian. You, you, may, you may not even see the growth in yourself. You may, you, you may oftentimes even feel worse as life goes on. But Paul here isn't talking about your feelings, but about works and the life. And the truth is that oftentimes God hides our improvements from our eyes to keep us humble so that we don't become puffed up or conceited or look at ourselves and become too proud. But the Bible is clear that there will be growth between now and the moment you first believed. From the moment you were converted, the the moment that the gospel uh, uh, landed in your heart that it was spoken into your ears, that the moment you were baptized to today, that there should be a growth, that there is a growth, that the Lord is improving you through his word. God gave you a heart to love his law, to love his word, to a heart that wants to obey the Ten Commandments, that hears the commandments and says, I want to do that. That's my desire. A, a, A heart that desires to be free from uh, all of the things that plague us and, aff- and afflict us. This is good. And as much as this is true, at the same time, I don't want you to ever think that you're fine on your own. Or that because you have improved, that you need Jesus less now than you did before. Because no matter how much you've grown and matured and improved, you need Jesus and his forgiveness as much as the very first day. This new life of obedience is only ever a weak and fragile sort of thing. Uh, The Lutheran confessions call this an incipient, an incipient or initial goodness. It is only the beginning of the goodness that the Lord is going to do through you. That this work that has been begun in you, he will then bring to completion on the final day, he says. So that your life is going to be, the Christian life is is like this. It's like a little baby who's trying to stand up and walk for the first time. And that uh, when you kind of set the the baby there and leave him alone, he falls down and cries and, and can't move. Um, so he needs his father or his mother to hold him up and carry the weight and do the work. And then the baby uh, lightly moves his feet and, and so on. Well, in the same way, that's what your life as a Christian is like. You're like an infant. Even now in your old age, you're like an infant still learning to walk in obedience and in this new life. And it is the Holy Spirit who holds you up. It is the Holy Spirit who is, who is uh, uh, carrying the weight. Every single step you take, as long as you live, you will never outgrow your dependence upon Christ and his word. No matter how much you've grown, you will never outgrow your baptism. You will never move past it. You will never get past that point. In, in this life, you will always need the forgiveness of sins. That is the foundation upon which you walk. So dear saints, although you must fight against sin in this life and strive to do good, not remaining in it, but seeking to do better, 
Remember that you never have to strive to win your salvation. That's not what this life is about. That's not what the, the, the works of obedience are for. It is not to gain your salvation. Jesus won this for you long ago when he gasped for his final breath of air. When he poured out the final drop of blood from his body. That is when he won for your salvation. And in your baptism, he gave you that salvation and gave you a new life. One that is free, uh, one that is uh, joyful and full of peace. So that no matter how many times you stumble and fall, remember your baptism and repent and get up again. And know that God has promised you that very soon, one of these days, your struggle against sin will end once and for all. Because on that final day, your baptism will be complete and he will free you from this struggle. When that day comes, that will be the final day you have to repent. That will be the end of your repentance. And it will also be the end of your faith because you will have everything he promised. It will be the end of hope because you'll have everything he has promised you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.